Hello and welcome back. I had so much fun with my guest this week. She's down to earth, funny, and so relatable. And I know what she shares with us today will be impactful for every listener. Elizabeth Earnshaw is a licensed marriage and family therapist and an author and has one of my favorite Instagram accounts in the game. Make sure you follow her at Liz Listens and stay current on all of the relationship tips that you need. In this episode, I got to pick her brain about all things relationships, from how to find balance in the roles and responsibilities to how to feel better about your communication and getting your needs met. I walked away from our conversation with so many tangible takeaways that I've applied as a wife and mother. Sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to hear some insightful advice on creating a successful and fulfilling partnership. You do as a partner have to be aware of how they're feeling and you don't have to fix it all for them. What we tend to do is we jump in and we say, oh, you're anxious. I'm so sorry, I'll take it all on. What is better is to treat your partner like they are your peer, not your child, and to say, oh, wow, I can hear you're anxious and I wanna support you with that. What do you know about yourself? Help your partner to have responsibility of themselves. In this episode, you'll learn what the mental load is for women and how to collaborate and manage it with a partner rather than taking it all on your shoulders. You'll also learn four things to avoid when communicating with your partner and how to set healthy boundaries to ensure a positive and productive relationship. Be sure to check out the show notes to find out where you can connect with Liz and her awesome resources. Welcome to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Awesome. So Liz is a very successful couples counselor therapist in Pennsylvania and a group practice owner, which uh, we could relate on a lot of levels from that, which is really fun to talk to you about today, because this is just like where I'm at in my life. And I feel like I'm a therapist yet. I'm also a wife and a mom, so I can represent multiple hats. I thought maybe today I could ask you a bunch of questions about being in a relationship with another person and being a parent to, you know, children, like one or more children. So one of the questions that I've recently been talking to my friends about is how responsibilities get divided up when you are traveling with your partner and your kids and the balance feels unbalanced. So you know, just speaking from me and my friends, the the moms that I'm representing, not saying that this is just a general gender thing. This is just like me and my friends is how you travel and it feels off balance. So example is like packing, unpacking snacks, water tickets, luggage. So if you feel as a mom that you're doing most of the work on travel, how do you talk to your partner about it when you know they're anxious travelers? Hmm. I think there's a lot here to kind of peel apart. The first is that piece around, and you said that generally it might not be the woman, but generally it is cisgender women who are falling into this trap. Because of the way that we're socialized, we are socialized to take on something called the mental load. So the mental load is all of the things that you have to think about, right? And be aware of. So if you're thinking about traveling, some of the mental load tasks that can be really exhausting are remembering what needs to be packed knowing exactly what time you need to get to the airport because you know that at that time there's going to be a line and that you know that if you don't get through the line at a certain time that you're not going to be able to make sure that your kids get lunch before they get on the plane and if they don't get lunch before they get on the plane 
then you know that they're going to have a tantrum on the plane. And if they have a tantrum on the plane, you know, you're going to be aware. You're, you're going to be the one aware of how upset they are. So you're going to be the one walking around the plane, taking care of them. So that's the mental load. It's all of the things that we have to remember. It's all of the things we have to be aware of, present with, um, that we have to delegate, that we have to research. And so all of that stuff comes up with travel, right? You have to research where do we go? What time do we need to be there? All of that stuff. So that's one piece of it is that women are socialized from a young age to be aware of all of this mental load stuff and then to take it on. And if you're in a hetero relationship with a man, they are not socialized to do that. So you're going to be taking that on with this muscle that's been overdeveloped and your partner is not even going to notice. And it's really frustrating because what you probably will hear if you bring it up is something like, well, I wouldn't have known that, or you should have just told me, or you should have asked and I would have helped you. Or why do you do it that way anyway? Why do you, why, why does it matter if we get the kids lunch? Can't they just get on the plane and we'll give them a protein bar? And in the meantime, you're thinking asking is another piece of the mental load. I already did the research. So of course I know that we can't just give them a protein bar on the plane. So that's one piece of this is what do you do to navigate the mental load and bring that up with your partner so that that's more evenly distributed. And what we know from research is it doesn't need to be perfectly equal. It needs to be what feels fair. So you and I could do the exact same thing in the airport and I might feel like it's unfair and you might feel like it's fair. So it's okay for your relationship if you feel like it's fair. If you feel like it's unfair, it means that there needs to be a conversation. Now, the second part of this is you said that the partner feels anxious. So you bring up to them, I can't do all this mental load stuff. I need you to be a part of this process because it's exhausting to me. And your partner says, okay, I get that. And the airplane gives me severe anxiety. And I feel like even getting on it takes everything out of me. Now, this is a little bit, this adds a little bit to the equation, right? Because while you're self-aware enough to say, I can't take this all on by myself, you love your partner. And if your partner truly is anxious and afraid to fly or anxious about all of the overstimulation in the airport, you do as a partner have to be aware of how they're feeling and you don't have to fix it all for them. And I think that's the really important thing for women to hear is that what we tend to do is we jump in and we say, oh, you're anxious. I'm so sorry, I'll take it all on. What is better is to treat your partner like they are your peer, not your child, and to say, oh, wow, I can hear you're anxious and I wanna support you with that. What do you know about yourself? Help your partner to have responsibility of themselves. What do you know about yourself? What helps you? to be you know, able to go on the airplane or what's gonna help you to still help me with the kids? Is there something that you need to do in advance? Is there a conversation we need to have? Is there something I could do to support you? And you are my partner, so you are going to still need to help with this. So, so those are just some initial thoughts. Okay, so my takeaways are many things. One is, because we have a mental load and we do say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like we think all scenarios and then we plan ahead. I do think a hundred percent that is true. And then that tells me that we can also anticipate our partner's issues and then find a safe time before we travel to sit down and say, 
in my experience, when we go to the airport, when your anxiety goes up, I then take care of the kids and the luggage, but then you feel better and I look calm, but really I'm just kind of taking on the load. And we all know once we arrived at our destination, I'm going to blow up, like take responsibility for like how you then respond at the end of the day when your mental load explodes and say, what can we do now for, for you to think that ahead? And what do you need to do in the next 10 steps so that I know what you need, you know what you need, and I can be there with you, but then you can also be there for me. So it's like in the mental load, we're doing it anyways. Why not just add the pre-planning of sitting down with your partner and saying like, this is how we need to divide and conquer the next 24 hours coming off of spring break recently. I can tell you hundred percent that I would have benefited from that conversation because what really transpired was not ideal because, you know, the mental load for me, I did it. And then I exploded. And there was this like reaction of like, I had no idea. And, you know, if you would have just said something in the beginning, but you're right. Asking is another step that just feels exhausting. And in the moment you'd rather just take it on yourself. So I, I like that. Can I add a strategy that I've found? Please. I would love to hear it. So it's called SBI. And then I added an AR. So explain the situation just in facts. That's the S the B is tell the story of the behavior, like your interpretation of their behavior, the interpretation of your behavior. Like that's where you can talk about the gray. So it goes like black and white situation then gray, like this is kind of what I think and feel. And then the eyes impact, and this is the impact it has on us and ask for what you need is the a, and then the R is like reinforce why doing all of this is beneficial to the other person. Like this is what it's in it for you. So it's SBIAR and we do that in a workshop. That's why it's like off the top of my head, but it's literally like black and white gray, the impact ask for what you need, and then reinforce why they should make those efforts. And I tend to do that by text and email because it's such a script. And then they're prepared and primed for the conversation later that day. They're not trying to do it off the top of your head or during dinner. So that's that's kind that. of like my personal and professional experience with the pre-planning, which I love, because now I'm going to add that to my to-do list for travels. I love that you also brought up, it's okay to send it in a text. You don't have to be this like magical human that can like regulate yourself perfectly and have this nice conversation over dinner. Sometimes things are really frustrating and you can say them much more calmly when you write them down, which I think mm -hmm. is incredibly helpful. One mm -hmm. of the pieces with the pre-planning is that you do have to do it, which is another piece of mental load. And it's frustrating. So people listening might be thinking, well, me having to even bring up this conversation is just a part of this entire process where I'm just doing all of the things. Unfortunately, to start shifting the socialization, you have to be willing to do some of that legwork, which is making what's invisible visible. And so when you're sitting down together, writing out a list of all the things that you know that you do can be really powerful. My husband and I, after our um, son was born, I was like totally up to my eyeballs and mental load. I was just exhausted by it. And as you know, and we, we both are this way, I work very hard. I have a business and 
I remember reading like a cartoon about the mental load and I shared it with my husband and said, this is what is happening in our relationship and I'm exhausted by it. He kind of understood. He was like, yeah, I could see that, but he still wasn't seeing everything that was invisible to him. Like he truly didn't see it. And if you're struggling with this, I want you to almost enter into the conversation thinking, I don't think my partner sees any of this. I don't actually think they know that people have to research this. I don't think they actually know that it's not magical fairies who got all of the lunches together. In their mind, these things just happen for them because that's what's happened their entire life. And so something that we did was we went, we saw a couple's therapist and she handed us a sheet of all of the things that happen in a home. And it was everything that happens in a home. You know, the things that have to be thought about, the things that have to be researched, the things that have to be um, remembered or to be aware of. And she handed it to him and she said, circle all the things you do on this list. And I think he circled like three things. <laughs> it was like, I take out the trash. I do this other thing. I do this other thing. And then she was like, pass it to the list. Let's circle all the things you do on this list. And it was like, I remember the birthday parties. I plan the birthday parties. I call people to RSVP for the invitation. I, and so it was all of these circles. And that was the first time that my husband, and I think it was probably hard for him to see, but he looked at it and was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I was aware of how much you are fitting into a day. And so if even on this travel thing, you can make a list of all of those things you can do and you want to do it factually. You don't want to do it critically, but just, Hey, let's just look at this together. These are the facts. This is what I do. I want you to look at it. And can you take on some of these pieces? I'm happy to take on this, but these other 10 things, they're not what I'm good at, or they're not what I like doing. So who is going to do these other things? That list can make it really real. I like that too, because you may not be aware of all the things that you're doing either, because you're expressing all these things from a person who's self-aware, you're a counselor, you're, you have one more leg up on than most people, but even you looked at this list and was like, yeah, there's 15 more things I did that I didn't realize. Of course I'm anxious. Of course I'm stressed. Of course I'm overwhelmed. So you having that awareness is an example of probably how people really would have a great experience and seeing what's really going on. And I say this all the time, but if we become aware of thoughts and behaviors and actions, and then instead of reacting to like all of a sudden being aware, but we actually just observe it and kind of sit and pause with it, which is like the biggest step that people forget when we sit and pause. And I think that's why couples therapy works so well. There's a lot of pausing in couples therapy. Then we can become responders to one another and not just reactive. Cause I can say personally that I might become aware of something and make my partner aware of it, but then there's reactiveness right afterwards. So the, the difference in what I encourage people to do is when you're building this awareness, don't just go after your partner sit and pause and do like 24 hours, like just kind of relax, write your script, approach them in a safe place, mental safety, emotional, physical safety, and then ask them to not react, but to maybe pause and respond. So I, t I tend to kind of prime my partner and say, I'm, I want to tell you something. 
I'm going to ask that you not react to it and sit and just pause and then respond when you feel really good about what you're going to say. And if you do that, right. The impact, like if you do that, I'll come to you faster. I'll be less explosive. And at the end of the day, like we'll be better. And like, don't we want to be better? So I try to do that, like SBIAR thing, but really to your point is like, you have to become aware and you have to make sure that the other person's aware, but don't threaten them. Like I'm aware of all these things because I listened to a well, not perfect podcast. And now you need to change. And I don't want to set people up to have a fight with their partner because I don't know about you, but like I've watched reality TV and then like gone after my husband and like said something because I saw it on TV and I was like, you do this too. Yes, exactly. So you need to slow down. Right. And just kind of like, know this is an emergency. I don't want people to leave this podcast and say, I just listened to this podcast and you do this thing. So there's four things I want to tell you to avoid when you're bringing this up with your partner. Okay. I'm ready. I'm going to write them down. Yep. Criticism, which is exactly what you were just talking about is you don't want to point a finger. Mm -hmm. You are so unaware or you never helped me. A trick to know that you are being critical is using absolute terms. So if you're saying things like never or always, you are being a critical person because the reality is, is that no one is never or always anything. And even if they are, you are setting them up to be defensive, right? So by saying something like you never help at the airport, and I just listened to this podcast and it told me that you never take on the mental load, you are going to be setting yourself up for an argument because your partner is going to tell you about the one time that they did help at the airport. And so what you're concerned about isn't even going to be heard. So you want to avoid criticism. Instead of criticism, you want to do exactly what Audrey was just talking about, which is to, we call it gentle startup, but it's the same type of thing. You want to be able to just say what the fact is. I've noticed that when I'm at the airport, you know, I have this huge checklist of things to do, da, 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 and I feel really overwhelmed by that. Talk about yourself, not them. People can empathize with you more when you say, I feel really overwhelmed instead of, I feel like you're a jerk, right? So I feel really overwhelmed. I feel frustrated. I know at the end of it, I'm going to blow up and I don't want to blow up. And then here's what I need and why. I really need us to sit down and look at all of the tasks next time. That way you and I don't get in a fight. So do that instead of criticism. The other thing you want to avoid is defensiveness. And so If your partner is less likely to get defensive when you don't use criticism, but they might still get defensive because that's the reality of people, you want to try not to get defensive too, though, because your partner might counter you and say, are you kidding? I worked the entire week. I worked until midnight the day before our flight because you made our flight early in the morning. That's why there was a problem. So then you don't want to get defensive and say, well, I wouldn't have made the flight early in the morning if you would have done X, Y, and Z. Instead, you just take responsibility for your part and drop it. I, you're right. I did make that flight really early in the morning. And I would still love for us to talk about what we could do next time so that this doesn't happen again. That is being non-defensive. You also want to make sure you avoid just withdrawing. So sometimes what happens is we say something that's really important to us. Like I want us to figure out how to delegate all of this stuff better. And the other person shuts it down and then we get silent and we say, forget it. And we either keep taking on what we're taking on or we punish in our silence 
oh, well, next time we go to the airport, I'll see if they even remember to pack their shoes. <laughs> and we like leave the shoes out until they pack them. So you want to avoid that. And then the final thing you want to avoid is contempt. Contempt is criticism supercharged. And that is something that I think people do after they listen to a podcast or they see something on a reality show is they become contemptuous, which is pushing down on the person. So criticism is pointing directly across. You never help me. Contempt is you should be ashamed of yourself. You are just like those losers on TV. You are just like these terrible husbands that I heard people talking about on the podcast. That's punching down at your partner and it's actually semi-abusive. So when you're bringing all of this up, if you can avoid these four things, being critical, getting defensive, getting silent, pushing down on the person, then you're more likely to be heard. And the conversation is going to be about the problem instead of how crappy your partner is. And the mm -hmm. problem is that there's too many things to do. Mm -hmm. and that they're not visible for everybody. That's the problem. The problem is not that your partner is a big loser who hates you and doesn't want to help. Yeah. So taking things that are invisible, which is in your mind and making them visible because we don't want the expectation that people are going to read our minds yeah. and the awareness of that is important. So if you made a column, one is how I respond to my partner and how do I react to my, my partner? Cause the four that you described is like reactive nature. So if you, if you designate between those two things, then your awareness will go up and then you have to hold yourself accountable. If all of a sudden you are reactive that you then take a step back and cool off and come back and try to do some repairing. Throughout my 10 years as a therapist, I've learned a thing or two about growth. I've had the honor of supporting clients and becoming more resilient people, overcoming obstacles, and achieving their goals. What I've learned through this process is that there are five essential steps in every growth journey. With a goal of making personal growth accessible to all, I use these steps to create a planner series so that anyone can work on their growth anytime and anywhere. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. Personal growth isn't a quick process, but this series is designed to make it easy and fun. Learn more at www.simplybecounseling.net slash planners. And be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a Well Not Perfect listener, you can get 10% off on any order using code Well Not Perfect. There's no better day than today to tap into your own growth and resiliency. Okay, my next question is similar to the mental load of traveling. What about the mental load? Well, maybe emotional load of carrying the family's emotions and managing multiple personalities and even maybe a child with special mental or physical needs or a husband or a partner or a wife that have mental health needs. How do you help or suggest people to unload a little bit of that responsibility and share it when it seems like maybe one person is the carrier in a family? It's really hard and I'm all for being realistic. So I think that the easy advice is like, well, just don't do it all. <laughs> like, that sounds lovely, but when you're in the middle of an airport and your child is having a tantrum in that moment, 
if you can't just necessarily feel comfortable walking away from it, right? Like it's really, really hard in practice. I think that there's a couple things that you can do that are really important. And again, I'm all for like sitting and pausing and reflecting, but one thing, and I had to talk about this in my own therapy is like, how much do you actually have to take on versus how much are you taking on? Because that's a part of your identity. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and so for example, I used to be like the manager of my friends where we would be out to dinner and I see you smiling. Cause you can probably relate. I think this is like a therapist quality, but we'd be like out to dinner and I would see at the corner of my eye that so-and-so was getting frustrated with what the other person in the other corner of my eye was saying. <laughs> and yeah. I would do things to diffuse it. Right. Like yeah. I would be like, oh, Brittany, I love this song. Do you want to get up and dance now? Or yeah. like, Hey, will you go to the bathroom with me, Sarah? So I'm like diffusing the situation that like, nobody's asked me to diffuse, which is a situation amongst adults and might not even actually turn into anything. And if it does, they can handle it on their own. Right. And I remember talking about this with my therapist, like I never have fun out with my friends because everybody's always getting upset with each other and I'm navigating it. And she was like, well, who gave you that job? Like nobody's paying you to do that. Nobody told you you have to do it. What would happen if you didn't? And so something I often ask people to do with the adults in their lives, their partner, their friends is don't manage it. Be loving. You know, if that fight had broken out between the two friends, I can be loving. I can say, Hey guys, like, why don't we take a little break or like, does either of you want to walk with me? I'm here with you, but I'm not going to like prevent you from getting upset with each other. And so when you're thinking about your partner, that's another adult. And you might see out of the corner of your eye, wow, they're getting like really frustrated with the person who is at the gate or they're starting to feel like they can't get on the plane. How can you be loving and not be their parent. That's like very different. It reminds me so much of what you said earlier, which is treat them like a peer, not like your children. Yes. And we, because we were talking all about parenting, I think if a group of people are together in our age, if we're talking about our mid thirties, if some of them are parents, they're primed and tuned to kind of be managing behaviors. So they're like managing friends' behaviors as if they're our children. And if we don't consciously turn that off, it's going to become just you know, a damper on the night for us. We can't enjoy our night if we're acting like moms. Exactly. And your partner, yeah. your child. And if your partner explodes at the airport or your partner has to walk away and go in the bathroom for 30 minutes to calm themselves down, that's what your partner has to do. And again, you can be loving, you can reach out a hand and rub their back, or you can say, honey, I can see you're getting upset. Is there anything you need? But you can't prevent it. And honestly, Sometimes people need to work through it to see the impact on themselves and to be able to feel what that feels like so that they can change it over time. By me preventing my friends from getting upset with each other, they never got upset with each other. And then they never actually worked out whatever the tension was. So managing your partner is something you shouldn't be doing. And you can plan ahead again, and you can say, I'm I know the airport's a really difficult spot for you. I keep using the airport example, but I know it's something that brings you anxiety. Like what, what do you need? You have to help the adults problem solve and not be the one that's like, how can I fix it for you? Or I'll pack all your favorite snacks so that like, when we get in there, I can like help you calm down or whatever it is. But what do you think you need when we go to the airport? 
you're putting that problem solving into them and you're treating them like an adult peer. Now, children are different. They're not an adult peer, but your partner needs to be in on it with you. Hey, we know that our, our kid struggles with X, Y, and Z. So what are we going to do together to navigate that? And one of my, my favorite um, ways of thinking about this that I learned a long time ago in school was to think about different baskets of behaviors. So there's some behaviors that your kid's going to have that are in the basket of like, we just tolerate it. You know, we don't love it, but we just tolerate it. So they'll probably sit on the floor instead of sitting on the chair. And I'm not even going to fight with it. I'll just, I'll even hand them a blanket and say, have fun down there, <laughs> whatever. Those are the things you're just not even going to waste your energy on. Now there's behaviors that you can prevent. So that's the type of thing you're doing with your friends that you shouldn't do with your friends that you can do with your kids because they're kids. And so, you know, that they start doing their little goofy mannerisms, like, my son starts making up words when he's about to get really bananas. So he'll be like, da, 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 get in the corner. And I'm like, okay, it's prevention time. Mm -hmm. But I bring my husband in on that. I say, do you see what he's doing right now? I don't leave it to myself. Do you see what he's doing right now? My husband will be like, oh yeah, I see that. Um, and I'm like, okay, what are we going to do to prevent it? Can you take them to the bathroom really quickly? Can we make a joke? Can we hand them a book? Can we switch the activity? So there's prevention things. And then there's things that we have to respond to. Like we can't prevent them. We don't know that they're going to happen. The other day we were walking and my son just decided to like knock over everything on a table. I couldn't have prevented that. It just came out of nowhere because he's four years old and very impulsive. And so in those moments, sometimes it is only on me to fix it. And sometimes you have to ask for help. And if my husband was there at the moment, it would have been something like, I can't, I'm, I'm at my wit's end right now. I'm really overwhelmed. I'm going to walk away. Here's his hand <laughs> and actually walk away. Something that women do is they, they don't let people help in the way that they can be helped. They want to do it exactly as they want to do it. And so often one of the biggest things you have to do is be willing to let the other person respond in their own way, in their own way. Yeah. In their own way, not in the way that you think is best. Yeah. And so when I don't give, get my husband to help, it's because I don't want him to do it in his way, mm -hmm. even though I'm about to explode. I'm mm -hmm. about to be like, ah, I hate this family. <laughs> Never mm -hmm. going on a vacation with mm -hmm. you again. Instead of just saying, here's his hand, have fun in whatever way you deal with it. You deal with it. I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk and get a coffee really quick. It reminds me of boundaries. So if you walk away, the boundaries that you're not going to go back in and tell your husband or partner that they're doing it wrong. And then also the boundaries of your mind saying, okay, I'm thinking like, if my partner uses a certain tone with my child that I don't like, I'm going to let that go because I'm not going to interfere. But if my partner yells or grabs, then I am going to get involved. So there's like these boundaries between like what you're willing to tolerate, not like, but tolerate. And there's things that you're not willing. And I think the boundary is important to kind of for yourself, remind yourself, like, this is, this is something I don't love and I'm tolerating it. This is something that is absolutely unacceptable and I'm going to step in. So I think that there's always a choice that we can make between two things, but when you create that line in your head, it just seems to be a little bit easier for you to follow through and not feel like you're just winging it, you know, that you've thought through ahead a little bit. 
I'll change, I'll change direction just a little bit, but it reminds me of when I hear my husband yelling or cursing, right? So I've had a conversation with him. Like if you're in the garage or if you're doing electrical work in the house, you're allowed to lose your mind and curse and whatever. But if you're grilling or cooking and you something, you know, you overcook the hamburger, I don't want you using that language because one, I feel like I can teach my kids dad's tinkering with the electricity. If he curses, you know, whatever. (laughs) Right. But if we're enjoying, if you're cooking dinner and we're barbecuing and all of a sudden he looks angry and that's family time, that's the difference. And we've literally had this conversation in my household. And I'm like, for me, this is where I can accept the quirks of your personality. And this is where I can't because it confuses the kids. In my opinion, I think it confuses the kids. And that was a really good conversation. That's just an example off the top of my head recently, where I'm like, this is a boundary that I have for when I'm going to get involved and say something Mm -hmm. that might undermine him versus like letting something go. Because Mm -hmm. that's recently been something we've been working, like we've been kind of deciding, like, how are we going to use language in the house with kids who are, you know, obviously verbal and parrots. Yeah. Yeah. We have very similar where it's, it, it doesn't have to be a blanket boundary. It's not like you're never allowed to get angry or you're never allowed to curse. And I like that you use the why there, right? Like, it's like this, these two differences make sense. One is you're by yourself doing a high stress activity. It is genuinely frustrating and you're not, you're not really disrupting the environment of what other people are doing. Cause you're doing this thing on your own. And that's okay to like express yourself in whatever way. This other thing is an environment we're all building together. And when you start to curse and all of that, it gets confusing because it expresses that you're not enjoying your time with your family. And whether that's what it is or not, that is what it's expressing. And it's also kind of modeling that this is like a low risk behavior, but it's making you that angry, right? Like, or this is like a low risk event. Like all you're doing is grilling a burger, like just throw it out. If it didn't, (laughs) if it didn't do the right thing, we can Mm -hmm. fix it. I think another way to think of that line is when does your partner truly need help versus that's just you wanting to do it your way. If you're uncomfortable, like what is your discomfort as the person watching versus like, are they truly in pain? And yeah, I agree with you because like there's moments where I correct my husband, but my husband wasn't actually internally out of control or upset. He's right. just doing it different, right? Like he wasn't using the therapy words that I would use and blah, blah, blah. But like really inside of his body, he felt okay, which is very important is if you feel okay inside of your body, your kids sense that. So your partner doesn't have to say things perfectly as long as they seem like they're safe within their body, right? So my husband might say something that I would like not ever teach a parent to say, but he's not out of control. So I don't need to help him. He's got it. If I notice that he's getting really frustrated with our son and like, you can tell his face is getting aggravated. His body is getting tense. He's saying things that he usually wouldn't say. That is my boundary. That's when I step in and say, you need to go take a break, you know? And I don't necessarily correct him. I just say, you need to take a break, like go in the other room right now. You know, when people are reactive, they go on and on and on. I'm not going in the other room. This is what he needs to hear or something. And I'm like, you're going in the other room right now. Mm -hmm. And I step in to help my husband. Mm -hmm. I don't step in to overtake 
my husband. And I think that's really important is I'm stepping in because I know at the end of the day, that's not how he wants to act. Mm -hmm. And so I'm saying, I'm going to help you right now. And I'm going to take our son off your hands Mm -hmm. for a second. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that he does the same for me, which he does, right? He doesn't intervene unless he sees that's not in Liz's character to do that. And because it's not in her character, I'm going to come in and say, all right, buddy, we're, we're going to go outside for a second and give mom a break. So those are those moments where it's okay to step in, right? Have to let your co-parent parent in the way that they parent, as long as it's not dangerous or mm-hmm. like truly detrimental to the mental health mm-hmm. of your child. Yeah. I'm thinking about everything that you're saying and like some of the reasons why it doesn't always work out that way. And it seems to me that when one parent is overactive, then the other one assumes that, oh, they've got this or, oh, their tolerance is higher than it is. And the assumption is that, well, they're primary most of the time, what do I know? And so they, you know, the people have lack of confidence that they don't know how to do it better. So they just stay back. And then it, then it takes the other parent kind of like welcoming them in and, you know, letting them co-parent and also not undermining them. It's really, really hard to not undermine, especially if you have been the more involved parent for a long time, because for a while you probably do know more and you probably do know better, but then you have to are going to, the hard part is, is that, you know, more you're going to do better and you're going to prevent, you are going to prevent a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like in, when you're first letting somebody test it out, the reality is, is that if you stepped in, you probably will reduce the amount of time your child's upset, or you'll reduce the likelihood that they throw something, or you'll reduce the likelihood that they fight with their sibling because you are actually good at it. Like that is true. And you have to be willing to say, if they throw something, my partner will clean it up. (laughs) That's that's why I keep going back to like awareness. It's like, you have to be aware of your urges to intervene. You have to be aware of your words to intervene and you have to not do that. So like it's called the urge surfing, right? Like you have an urge to intervene and you have to surf that urge and let it come to shore and not act on it. And sometimes to do that, you have to distract yourself. You have to self-soothe. You have to leave the environment, you know, all these things that we teach kids, but adults need to urge surf too, because we often interrupt. We often blast an email. We shouldn't do. We often interrupt our partner's, you know, discussion because we think we know better. And I tell someone, I'm like, you're right. You probably do know better. You probably do know the solution. I'm not doubting that, but is it getting you what you want or need? And if it's no, then you need to surf that urge and stop to get what you want or need. Like this is a long-term game. This isn't something that you can, you know, there's a difference between like, this is painful in the moment, but it's going to prevent my suffering in the future versus like, I'm going to fix this pain I have. And then I'm going to continue to suffer in the future because I haven't changed any behaviors. And that pain is worth tolerating, in my opinion, to get what you want in the end. And it's, it is a long game. And it often means that there are going to be disruptions or pain or discomfort because you're recalibrating things in your relationship. For example, I couldn't take on the mental load anymore or all of it. It exists no matter what. And we all have to take on pieces of it. I couldn't take it all on anymore after our kid was born. And one thing that was really, really overwhelming me was all the yard work stuff, like calling people to cut the grass, getting like these bushes removed, all of the stuff that I was doing. And my husband said, I'll take it on. 
And if I would have taken it on, those bushes would have been removed the next week. <laughs> the person would have cut the grass every week. He took it on, which meant that the person cut the grass like every 10 days and the bushes took forever. And there was short-term pain around that. But what happened was that he started to learn, oh, well, if we wait this long, it ends up being more expensive because the mulching had to be redone and the weeding had, he yeah. got to learn. Natural consequences. Yeah. Yes. And these were all things that I knew because I had to learn that at some point. Mm-hmm. And now I don't have that mental load at all because mm-hmm. he knows he takes mm-hmm. complete care of everything. He knows who to call. He knows. But if I would have kept stepping in and saying, this is taking too long, or I don't like the person you hired for that job, or they didn't do it right. I would have never been freed of that. And I, he would have never had an opportunity to succeed at it. Mm-hmm. So I had to live with and this mm-hmm. really hard for me, months and months of a messy yard. And if you know me, that like killed me. <laughs> I felt embarrassed in front of the neighbors. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I live in this house. But it worked itself out. And he was able to take that on. The same thing at the airport. Maybe it means that if you give some of these tasks, the luggage won't be packed perfectly. The diapers will be forgotten at home. <laughs> Somebody like will miss a t-shirt that was supposed to be packed, whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you get there, then what happens is you open the suitcase and say, oh man, there's no diapers. And then your partner goes, oh, I should have put that on the list. I, I didn't realize I had to pack those. All right, well, can you run to CVS and get them? Mm-hmm. So allowing people to learn is uncomfortable for you, but in the long term, it's going to make the relationship much better. I like the idea of acknowledging, like I'm doing the mental load and that's not what I'm doing anymore. Like I'm sharing this mental load and the mental load is such a coin phrase that I'm going to be using because it's when you are anticipating every situation and preventing every situation. That's how, you know, you're doing the mental load. And that is really, really powerful. Planning Mm -hmm. every situation, like where's our kid going to go to the doctor? And yeah, it's like, if you have to enroll them for school, you have to do the dental, you have to do the vision, you have to do the supplies, and then you have to plan the target trip. And yeah, so the mental load works forward and backwards and expressing that habit to your partner and saying every, everything that requires a mental load, I'm going to loop you in and let's, let's see where you're willing to come in on this because then you're making what is invisible, visible to your partner. And then it's their responsibility to support you because now they know. And obviously if you're, you and your partner aren't, you know, on the same page and it's causing long-term problems, couples counseling is so meaningful and powerful. And then I don't know, so therapeutic that people can't afford couples. Cause I think that's always a barrier starting with books, starting with podcasts, you know, listening to things together, sharing book recommendations together. Um, I think that we can kind of come and intervene in our relationships at like different levels, you know? Absolutely. There's a lot of different places you can get support and do books, mm-hmm. podcasts, You have great social. Can you share with everyone the social so that they can learn as much as possible just through that free resource? Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram at Liz listens, and it's the same handle on all of the different, if you want to go on Facebook or whatever it is, it's Liz listens. Mm -hmm. And I share a lot of information about having a healthy relationship that is balanced, right? I'm not 
I'm very nuanced. So I'm not about like your partner's all wrong or you're all wrong, but just how can you live relationally with each other? And your new book, I want this to work is on Amazon and came out last year. So people can get really low cost resource from the book that you authored, which is absolutely amazing called, I want this to work and we will hyperlink it. So if it's not counseling, it's a book, it's free social media, it's a podcast, like lots of encouragement to just to make one step forward. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for coming on the show today and people know where to find you. It's all in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful to your girlfriends, because I kind of was talking about my girlfriends and I recently talking about some of these things, share the episode and make sure that everyone's learning just a little bit more on how to improve relationships and that mental load. Thank you so much for having me. It was so funny. Thanks, Liz. And that is another episode of, well, not perfect. Thank you for listening to season three. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information, all things podcast, you can connect with us on Instagram at well, not perfect. See you next week.